tonight, um, man, like I said, a new year, not one for New Year's resolutions, but a new year always does provide a good opportunity to kind of reflect on the previous year and look forward to the next one um, for whatever reason. That's just kind of the way most humans are built anyways. I know I am. Um, And so you look back on this previous year and it's been a weird year. It was it was pretty strange for for a lot of different reasons, you know, not just like crazy pandemic stuff and government stuff and election stuff, but like this was just a, a year at our church where a lot of moving pieces uh, just moved around. The Brockers are living in Columbus now. The Horvaths are living in Hungary. Trisha and I are in here. She got through cancer, and you know, I got through her being in cancer, like having cancer. Like it's it's. It's been a strange year for us personally. It's been a strange year for, for our church. Um, but in a lot of ways, it was a good year. Um, but, you know, it's been strange. And as we start this new year, um, I think we're ready to jump back into Colossians. We took a, a bit of a break from Colossians. We got through Colossians chapters 1 and 2, um, you know, through the small group study and stuff like that. And I was trying to figure out, okay, where do we, where do we go from here? Like, I had a couple weeks where I wasn't here because I was... I was sick, quote unquote. Um, but like, we can either go to Colossians now or come back and do it later. And I'd rather just do it now because there's a lot of good stuff in Colossians, um, especially, you know, as we start into chapter three here, because there's some stuff in chapter three that I've just, that's really been weighing on me, that's been hitting me like, okay, as we start this new year, man, there's some things we got to keep in mind. Um, and so that's where we're at tonight. Rather than going somewhere else and coming back later, let's just uh, go through the last two chapters of Colossians now. So tonight we're starting at the beginning of chapter three, um, which, like I said, has some particularly good talking points about getting our life lined up with God and what he wants for us, and I think that's a, as good a way as any to start the new year. So feel free to turn to Colossians 3. Um, we'll get there in a second. And so tonight's message, I've titled it Routine Alignment because I think we need to make sure we're tuned and adjusted properly to make sure we're ready to handle whatever it is 2021 throws at us. Uh, Back in January 2020, none of us had any idea what 2020 was going to throw at us. Um, And man, I think think that's a healthy thing to remember as we enter a new year. Like, we can take comfort in the fact that last year was bad and we're not in that year anymore, but we don't know what 2021 is going to throw at us. Um, And, you know, I'm not talking about anyone in particular in here, but but Christianity in general got hit really hard last year. Uh, Churches have never had to stop meeting before, at least in my lifetime, and some churches still aren't back open, and unfortunately, some of them won't be able to open anymore. They just won't be able to keep going. Um, but throughout 2020, there's been this thinking in the back of our minds, or maybe even things we've been saying, that if we could just make it to 2021, if we can just get through this weird year, then, then you know, everything will be over, and we'll get back to normal, and it'll be great. I'm not really sure where that came from. That's kind of an arbitrary thing to just say, like, oh, if we get to next year, it'll be fine. Um, you know, maybe they, maybe people were saying that because they thought the election would calm things down. <laughs> I don't really know, but, but we're all just humans, um, and we have no way of knowing what this year might bring us. Things may calm down and get back to normal. I hope they do. Uh, but 2021 may introduce its own set of problems that we've never had to deal with before. We just have no way of knowing. So I think we need to be prepared for things not getting back to normal, and we just need to be prepared uh, at least as much as God would have us be prepared to, to deal with whatever this year might throw at us. Um, so, yeah, we need to allow ourselves, our life, and our ministry to be defined by God and his word. 
because a whole lot of this year has been spent by people allowing themselves to be defined by their circumstances. And as Christians and as a church and as a small group that meets on Wednesday nights, man, we can't let our circumstances define who we are and what we believe and what we do. We have to let the God of the universe define that for us through his word. We need to let God define us and who we are. And so this, this passage at the beginning of uh, Colossians 3, man, it's really good about some things that you need to line up in your life to line up so that they're pointed in the direction that God wants them to be put in. Just like when your car turns on that check engine light or any of the other warning lights. Um, anybody just ignore those lights? I know you do. You, your dad tells me stories. <laughs> well, you know, shame on you for that, but you can let those lights, you can let those lights stay lit all you want, heathens. But man, like, we can't let the lights in our life that have been lit up by this past year stay lit without, without pulling ourselves into the garage and letting God, the, the great mechanic, get on, his, <laughs> get on the creeper and tune things however mechanics tune things. Um, so don't ignore those lights. Why don't we start by reading in Colossians 3, <laughs> verses 1 through 7. And hopefully you'll see what I'm getting at. Starting in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. And so before we get, even get started looking at the adjustments that we need to make in our life, man, make sure you don't miss who this passage is addressed to. It starts out with, if ye then be risen with Christ. And this is written to, to a, a group of believers. And it says, if ye then be risen with Christ. So this passage is only going to help you in your life if you've given your life to the Lord, if you're risen with Christ. And that's what it takes to be risen with him. You have to give your life to him. And if you haven't done that, you need to know the simple truth of what Christ has done for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that's the simple truth of the gospel. Christ died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he died to offer his blood as payment for your sins, which you could never have paid for on your own. But the story doesn't end there, because after he died, he was buried and rose, after he was died and he was buried, he rose again, proving that he had power over death, which offers which he offers to us through the gift of salvation. And understanding that he died and rose again is actually critical to your salvation. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So man, that resurrection of Jesus is essential to our ability to be saved from from death. And understanding his resurrection is necessary for us to have hope in our own resurrection because if Jesus Christ couldn't have risen from the grave on his own, what hope would we have that he could keep us uh, from, from experiencing eternal death? What, what, what hope could we have for him to offer eternal life for us if he didn't have it himself? So if you're saved, 
know that you're risen with him because he's given you new spiritual life. You're spiritually risen again. Like Colossians 2 says in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And praise the Lord for that. You're spiritually risen with him. But if you're not saved, know that you aren't risen with him, but you can be. It's super simple. Like that verse in Romans 10 says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That's, that's all it takes. And if you're here tonight and you'd like to know more about that, maybe you have questions, man, talk to somebody about that before you leave this building. There's any number of people in here, myself included, who would, would love to talk to you and answer your questions. But man, for those of us who are risen with Christ, we need to remember that being risen with him r- will result in some changes in your life. And over time, if we're not careful, we might fall back into some of the things we used to do before we were risen with Christ, before we gave our life to him. And we don't want to do that. So tonight, from Colossians 3, we're going to look at three specific ways that we need to make sure our life and our ministry are aligned with God. And the first one is point number one, align our priorities. And that's what we see in verses one and two. If we want to be serving the Lord, we have to make sure our priorities are lined up with God's priorities. We need to be focused on what he wants us to be focused on. We need to be working toward the things he wants us to be working toward. We need to think things are important that he thinks are important. We need to be on the same page with him if we want to be serving him. You know, when I was in the corporate world, I worked as an engineer for seven years, and I would, I would be given projects to create a system or something that, that would affect a whole lot of people. And Everyone would randomly generate in their minds their own expectations of what this new system would do. And I learned real quick that if their expectations aren't met, if their priorities aren't my priorities, then they're upset. So I would have to sit everybody down and have all these big, long meetings where I explain what the priorities of this project are, and they'd tell me what they think their priorities should be, and then we'd all have to become on the same page before we move forward with the project because otherwise I'm wasting my time doing something that isn't important for them or I'm doing something or I'm not doing what they think is important and isn't actually going to help them. And man, we need to do the same thing with the Lord because he's giving us a project. We've been tasked with living for him, spreading the gospel and making disciples until he returns. So we need to make sure we've aligned our priorities with his priorities so that we can be focused on the project he's left us to do. And this passage in Colossians 3 tells us how to do that. And the first thing we need to do is letter A, seek the right things. Colossians 3, 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And most of us probably understand what it means to seek something. We all played hide and seek as a kid. When you're the seeker, you're the one going after everyone else. So when you seek something, you pursue it. You get up and move yourself to where it is. You don't just sit there and wait for it to come to you. You don't seek your missing car keys by sitting on the couch until they appear on the coffee table. You seek your car keys by getting up off the couch and moving through your house from room to room until you find the keys you're looking for. So what is it you're seeking with your life? What are the goals that you're currently pursuing? Are you pursuing any goals? Do your goals line up with what God would have you be pursuing? When was the last time you bothered to even ask yourself what God wants you to be pursuing? Scripture's pretty clear that there's some specific things we should be seeking, and as a result, there there are some things that we should be doing. Because seeking is a verb. So when you're seeking the things which are above, you'll simply be doing the things that affect eternity, the things that are above. 
because we're all seeking things in our lives, whether we realize it or not, and we'll all be seeking multiple things at any given point in time. But the idea is that we need to make seeking eternal things a priority over the other things in life that we're seeking. Uh, Luke 12, verses 29 through 31 says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the kingdom of God is something we should be seeking even above what we eat, what we drink, the clothes on our backs, everything. We should be seeking the kingdom of God more than the basic things we even need to survive. And I'm not suggesting that you just pick up and start living a life of stoicism and sell everything you have and starve for the Lord. That's, that's a strange thing. But scripture is suggesting that you be more concerned about the eternal spiritual kingdom of God than you are about your own physical temporary body. That's what Job was getting at when he said in Job 23 verse 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed thy words of his mouth, or the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. Of course Job ate food. But he knew that God's words in his life were more important because his words would affect him forever. The food, that just affects him now. So sure, he had both food and the words of God, but he knew that if he had to pick just one, he was going with the words of God because that was going to affect him for eternity. Those were going to last forever. So what are the things you're seeking? What are the things you're doing in this life? And that's an important question because yes, we're not saved by our works. We just talked about that. We're saved by the grace of God and, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, we all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, you know, we often stop there because that's great news. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. But read on in verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So even though we aren't saved by our works, God saves us so that we can do good works. Even though our works have nothing to do with our salvation, if you're a Christian who's not trying to do what God wants you to do, man, you're not living the life you should be. And at the end of the day, there's two main categories that your works will fall into. And it's not even a good category and a bad category. It's an eternal category and a temporary category. The works that last forever and the works that don't. Because at the end of your life, the eternal stuff that you've put your time and effort into, those will still be around. The temporary stuff, it won't be. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this a lot. Um, starting in verse 9, I'll just read down to verse 15. It says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you've got Jesus Christ as the foundation in your life. And you're choosing what to build on top of that. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so at the end of your life, 
all of your works, all the things you've done since you've been saved will be tried by fire. This doesn't include stuff from before your salvation because you're building on the foundation that Christ has laid in your life. And this has nothing to do with losing your salvation for not doing the right things. But this is a test of your works to see what's going to remain and what's going to be burned. You'll either have gold, silver, and precious stones, which are things that that don't burn in fire. In fact, if anything, fire makes gold more pure and silver more pure. Or you'll have wood, hay, and stubble, which will burn up and leave nothing but ash. You'll either have eternal works or temporary works. And so anything temporary, it's just going to be gone. And now you can study each of those words, the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You can look each of those up in Scripture and come up with some pretty interesting cross-references that'll give you specific ideas about the, the things that we should be working on and the eternal things we should be putting our time and effort into. We don't have time to go through that entire study tonight, and it actually ends up being pretty self-explanatory. The things that last forever, the things that will survive the fire, it's the word of God and the souls of men. So if you spend your time and effort pouring yourself into learning the Bible and in growing with your relationship with God and in sharing the gospel and making disciples of other Christians, you're investing into time, your, your time into things that will last forever. You're seeking the things that are going to earn you a reward in your next life. And the wood, hay, stubble, that's pretty much anything else. The stuff that isn't going to last forever. Your wealth, your career, your house, your entertainment, all perfectly fine things. We're not even talking about sin right now. But you're pouring your, if you're pouring your life into that, man, you're pouring your life into pursuing and seeking those things, at the end of your life, you're going to see just how much of your time and resources you wasted because those things aren't going to make the cut. Those things aren't going to make it into eternity. They'll be burned up. You'll have nothing to show for your life if that's all you poured your time and energy into. And any reward that you could have earned if you'd used your time and resources differently, you'll miss out on those. You'll lose them. This life, we got one shot, and you got so much time and energy to invest into things. What are you going to invest in? So we need to be seeking the right things right here and now. Because, like I said, we only got so much time to invest in things that will last forever. And you'll be spending every minute that passes by in your life on something, and you get to choose what you're spending it on. So we need to focus on making sure our priorities are straight so we spend those minutes, each minute that passes by, on things that are going to earn us rewards in the long run and not just the things that are going to earn us rewards now. But not only should we be seeking the right things, we need to let her be Set your affection on the right things. That's what Colossians 3.2 says. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And this might sound similar to seeking the right things, but here we're talking about your affection. That has to do with your heart, what you care about. Rather than talking about what you're doing, God wants us to adjust what we care about, what we set our affection on. Because what you care about is going to drive what you do. So we need to prioritize the things we care about so that they line up with what God cares about so that we can drive ourselves to do what God wants us to do. So there's many things that Scripture tells us are above that God cares about. So we better start caring about those things if we want to be on the same page as God. Revelation 4, in the first few verses, tells us that the throne of God is in heaven, which is above us. And if you spend some time studying the Bible, you'll quickly learn how much God cares about his throne, how much he cares about his authority. Because a throne is always indicative of royalty or authority, 
and God's throne is the highest throne in the universe because God has the ultimate authority in all the universe. He's, he's the king over all of creation, and, and that's the throne he sits on. And the theme of the entire Bible is God establishing his kingdom and authority in the universe, a kingdom that totally recognizes his authority over everything. So God cares about his throne in heaven. Do you care about his throne in heaven? Do you care about his kingdom that he's establishing? Because if you do, that should drive you to do your part in helping to see it established. And right now, at this point in time, that's winning lost people to Christ and making disciples so that others can go win people to Christ as well. Because right now, that's exactly how God asks us to help him establish his kingdom. He's working on the spiritual aspect of his kingdom right now. And he's asked us to help. Is that important to you? Do you care about that? Does that matter to you? What else should we set our affection on? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus is currently seated on the right hand of God. So we know that Jesus is above as well. Do you care about Jesus Christ? And I know the Christian answer to that question is, yes, I care about Jesus Christ. Ask any kid that and they'll say, well, yeah, of course I do. But ask yourself honestly, do you really? What are you more worried about? Are you more worried about being embarrassed, sharing the gospel to your friends or family? Do you worry about the, the, the blowback that that might cause if they get angry or upset with you? Or are you more worried about pleasing Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel with them? Man, I think, I think we, we might admit, if we're honest, we might admit that too often we're, we're more afraid of people's reactions to us than we are Jesus' reaction to us. And if you decide that you care about pleasing Jesus, well, then you'd be diligently searching his word to find out how you can do that because scripture's full of, full of information on how to live your life in accordance with his plan for your life. And so if you care about Jesus, man, you're gonna wanna please him with your life. Psalm 119, 89 reminds us that God's word is settled in heaven and heaven is above. So do you care about God's word? Did, have you set your affection on that? Because as a Christian, you have to realize that his word that book you're holding in your hand, is how God communicates to us. He gave us a book. It's full of his words. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. No human being can do that. God can do that through his word. But we struggle to wake up early enough to sit down and read it for 15 minutes. Man, that book's powerful. It's got the answer to every question you could ask in life. We should care about it. We should set our affection on that. We should love it enough to allow it to change us each and every day. And we should love it enough to drive us to sharing the truth we find in it with the people around us. So there's definitely some things that we should set our affection on, and that's definitely not an exhaustive list. Like I said, Scripture's full of information about things that Jesus wants you to care about in your life. But man, when you find something in Scripture that God cares about or loves, you should love that thing too. Because that'll make you more like him and it'll drive you to do what he asks you to do. But notice the order, the, the seek ye first, or seek ye the things above and then set your affection on the things above. Seeking is mentioned first in verse one. Seek those things which are above and setting your affection on things above is mentioned second. And personally, man, I find that encouraging. Because, so <laughs> we're talking about you should care about these things. Well, I've always found it difficult to just make myself care about something. Um, and I think if we're honest, like that's just because we're humans. Like if I don't care about something, why, how, 
how, how do you expect me to just start caring about it? Um, well, Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you're seeking what you know God wants you to be seeking, even if you don't feel like you care about it yet, man, your treasure is just the stuff you have, your time, your energy, and your money. And as you start putting your time and energy and emotions and efforts into something God asks you to do, even if you don't care about it, well, you start putting some treasure in there. And as you do that, you'll find that you start to care about it too. Because your heart follows your treasure. So you'll start caring about the things you're doing simply because you're doing them. That's where you're investing yourself into. And so, you know, if you struggle to care about things just because you know you should care about them, well, start doing the things you know God cares about and then you'll start caring about them too. So you want to start caring about evangelism? Start sharing the gospel with people. You want to start caring about God's word? Start reading it. Start studying it, even if you don't feel like it. You want to start caring about world missions? Start giving money to it so that you're investing your financial dollars in something that's going on on the other side of the world that God is doing. And you'll start caring about it. You'll start being interested in it. You'll start waiting for missionary newsletters to come in. It's really that simple. And it's simple, but it's important. If we want to be effective at serving, we have to make sure our priorities are lined up with God's. And we can only do that by diligently allowing his word to guide us and direct us and obey what he asks us to do at every turn. But our priorities aren't the only thing that we need to align. We also need to uh, align our perspectives in point number two. And that's what we see in verses three and four. And these last two points will go a little quicker than that first one. Um, But our priorities are the things that we focus on. But our perspective establishes how we see those things. And here in Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4 indicate that we need to see our life the way God sees it. We need to have the perspective of our life that God has. Our perspective needs to line up with his. And we need to see our life the way he does in two particular ways. And first, we need to align our perspective on letter A, our current life. And that's what we see in verse 3. Colossians 3, 3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And that might sound a little weird. For ye are dead. Well, I'm still breathing. What's going on? But that's how God sees us. And we need to start seeing ourselves that way too. Luckily, other parts of scripture clear that up for us. Uh, Romans 6, uh, the first chunk of verses there, we're not going to read them all, but they should be on the screen. Romans 6 is key to understanding what Paul is talking about here when he says that we're dead. Because in Romans 6, verse 2 says that we're dead to sin, and because of that, we shouldn't live in it anymore. Verse 4 says we're buried with Jesus, and that our salvation in him made us rise up and walk in newness of life, just like he rose from the grave. Because verse 6 says our old man is crucified with him. And no, your old man is not your dad. Your old man is the body of sin that you live in. He's talking about your flesh the physical part of you that that still experiences temptation and sin. And even though we get saved, after we get saved, we still live in our flesh. Verse 7 says that we've been freed from sin. And that's all 100% true. If you're saved, you're dead to sin, and it doesn't have to control you anymore. It doesn't have the power to control you anymore. But verse 11 tells us that we need to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin. And we don't use that term reckon very often anymore, unless you're watching 
an old Western movie or the Andy Griffith show. Um, I forgot that show was even a thing until I went to my parents' house on Christmas and it was just on TV all day. <laughs> and I swear half the words in that show are the word reckon. But the word reckon is actually an accounting t- term that normally has to do with money when you find it in scripture. And it always has to do with calculating up a total and, and having it paid off at the end. So when we talk about reckoning a fact, which is what we're doing here, we know, we, we know that we're dead to sin. That's a fact in scripture. So when we reckon that we're dead to sin, it just means we realize it and we start living like it. We start making it true in our life because it is true. We start acting like it. It means we adjust our life so that it lines up with the truth that we're dead to sin and stop acting like sin controls us because it doesn't control us. Sure, we're always gonna be tempted to sin, but if we've given that over to the Lord, which you have if you're saved, man, he'll help you out of that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that he may be, that ye may be able to bear it. God has already conquered sin in your life if you're saved. Sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. So it isn't about, isn't it about time we start acting like it? That's the perspective we need to have. We need to remember that about our life the way God knows that about our life. We saw a few weeks or months ago in Colossians 2, uh, verses 10 through 14, how this works. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit starts living inside of you and he keeps your flesh from affecting your soul. That's the whole circumcision without hands thing. He separates those two things for you. So even though we continue to sin, our soul has been and continues to be made pure by Jesus Christ. He's nailed our sin to his cross. He's paid for it already. We don't have to let sin control us anymore. Sometimes we do, but that's our fault. We can't blame our nature anymore because salvation has changed our nature. So we need to adjust our perspective on our life to recognize that our old selves are dead and that life the life we have now belongs to Christ because that perspective makes our need to serve him a whole lot clearer. But that's not the only way our perspective needs to change about life. We also need to see letter B, our future life. And we need to see it the way God does. And that's what verse four of Colossians three gets into. It says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And man, I I feel like I've been talking a lot about this subject lately. Uh, regardless of where in scripture I'm studying and regardless of what class or, or message I'm studying to prepare for, God keeps bringing me back around to, to this, our future life in Christ when he appears. And I haven't really figured out why God keeps directing my attention to this, but I'm confident there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. If you have a guess, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> I don't have much time to go over this, but simply there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come to his creation for the second time. We call it the second coming of Christ because he came the first time, then he went away, now he's coming back. And the first part of that is something we call the rapture of the church. He pulls all the people throughout history who have given their lives to him together. He gives them glorified bodies and he finishes the process of salvation in their life. Praise the Lord. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if you're saved, the moment you decided to give your life to Christ, he put you on a path that will eventually end up with you being completely conformed 
to the image of Christ. You'll be perfect, you'll be complete, you'll be pure, you'll be holy. And that will happen shortly after he returns, when he appears, like it says in Colossians 3, 4. Right now, if you're saved, like we talked about, you're pure on the inside, you're dead to sin. It doesn't affect you anymore in an eternal sense. But we're still living in these sinful bodies that constantly try to get us to sin by fulfilling the lust of the flesh. When Jesus returns, and after he tries your works, like we talked about in the first point, he's gonna give each and every one of us a new body to replace our sinful flesh, and then we'll be fully conformed to the image of Christ. Praise the Lord. This is the fulfillment of what Paul writes in Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because your salvation was just the start of your journey with God. That's when God began his work on you, because you allowed him to start beginning his work on you. And he'll keep working on you until the day of Jesus Christ. But when that day comes, he'll finish that work so he won't need to perform it anymore. And too often we forget this. We lose this perspective. We get too focused on here and now. We forget to look at the future, what God has promised to do for us at the end of this life. But if we adjust our perspective to focus on that a little bit more, then we could surely just buck up and do what we know to do. Because the timing and prophecies established in Scripture Man, nothing else needs to happen before Jesus returns. He could show up any day, whenever he wants. Could be over like that. And I think it's more likely than not that he'll return during our lifetime. Most of us in here are pretty young. So buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. So why are we wasting our time worrying about other stuff that doesn't matter if we know that can happen at any moment? Look, I'm not saying we need to sell everything we have and just do ministry every second of the day at the expense of our friends and our family and everything else. But what if we just adjusted our perspective just enough that we're motivated to get up off our butts and serve God which, with as much of the little time we have left, um, as much of it as we can spare? These are the questions we gotta ask ourselves as we enter this new year. So our priorities need to change so that they line up with God's priorities. Our perspectives uh, how we look at things should also line up with God's perspectives. And both of those things will naturally happen the more we allow God to guide and direct our lives through his word. But until we meet Christ face to face and he gives us glorified bodies, we won't be 100% in alignment. But the goal is to get as close as we possibly can. And we do that, or, and, and we do that by doing what the rest of the passage says in point number three, align our procedure. And that's in verses five through seven which says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. And this is probably the simplest part of what we're going to talk about tonight, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, because we're trying to adjust our priorities, and we're trying to adjust our perspectives, because we're doing those things, we need to adjust our procedure. We need to adjust what we do in this life. Because we used to live one way, and now we should live another, because we've given our life to Christ. And so now we're to mortify, which just means make dead or kill, uh, our members which are on the earth, uh, which are then listed for us accordingly in the list that comes after that. Uh, Romans 8.13 tells us something similar. It says, for, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So we really want, if we really want to live the life that God wants us to live, we have to stop doing what our flesh wants us to do. 
We have to mortify the deeds of the body. That's why Romans 6.13 says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. There's a ton of things we could be spending our lives doing and our flesh wants us to spend our time living in sin. And so that temptation is always gonna be there. But we need to set aside or we need to set that aside like we've talked about if we want to be used as God's instruments to make lasting change into eternity with our lives. But Colossians 3.5 gives us a list of sins to avoid, it's the things that need to be mortified in your life. First, you've got fornication, which is just sexual sin. All kinds of sexual sin can fall under that. Uncleanness is obviously anything that's not clean. It's the opposite of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So the unclean stuff, man, ditch that. Inordinate affection, uh, that's another thing that we're to mortify. And inordinate just means that it's outside what's considered ordered. It's either too much or it's irregular. So you either got too much affection for something or you've got an abnormal affection for something you shouldn't have an affection for. Um, it's also referred to as an unnatural affection in 2 Timothy 3.3 3, um, and vile affection, affections in Romans 1.26 and 27. And especially in Romans, that very specifically points to homosexuality and other sexual sin. But more generally, man, referring, uh, uh, inordinate affection can refer to having an affection for anything the Bible says you shouldn't have an affection for. Evil concupiscence, that's just extreme sex perversion and deviation. Um, more generally, that can refer to a desire for worldly things, a desire for things you shouldn't even be considering. Um, and those worldly things, those are perverted and deviant desires for a Christian to have. And, and scripture makes it clear, things that you should and shouldn't desire. Covetousness, which is, which is idolatry. Covetousness is just wanting uh, anything that doesn't belong to you, whether it's someone else's wife, someone else's car, someone else's house, uh, someone else's job, uh, anything that doesn't belong to you, man. If, if it doesn't belong to you, don't dwell on it. But if you're saved, you're no longer a part of the world, so we need to start acting like it. And so some of those things that creep their way into your life in little ways, man, you gotta mortify that. Not just like sweep it under the rug, mortify it, kill it. And the primary way we do that the primary way we start acting uh, in accordance with this is by mortifying our members, getting rid of those old sins that we're still clinging to, and by starting to focus on what God would have us focus on. Winning lost people to the Lord and making disciples, building his spiritual kingdom on this earth before he returns for us, helping as many people as we can get, uh, helping as many people as we can get in on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we're running out of time, and we've got the news that can change people's lives for eternity. And if we're not sharing it, man, shame on us. And so as we wrap up tonight, start thinking about what we talked about tonight in terms of the new year. Like we said, 2020's over. Thank the Lord for that. But we have no way of knowing what 2021 will bring. But regardless of what the world has in store for us this year, man, we know what God has in store for us this year. We've still got a job to do. So let's start this year off right. Let's make sure we're digging into God's word each and every day, letting it define us and define our goals, letting it mold us into the people that God wants us to be so that we can serve him as effectively as we possibly can. Let's make sure we're on our knees in prayer every day, begging God to use our lives and our ministry together to bring him glory, uh, both to him and to his throne. 
Let's be looking for opportunities to shine the light of Christ to the people we come into contact with. Let's find chances to turn conversations into conversations about Jesus and about the good news of the gospel. And man, let's be holding each other accountable for our personal growth and for our personal involvement in ministry. If, we're j- if we got a friend who's just living it up and doing whatever he wants to do, and we're, we're not brave enough to say, hey man, stop it, what are you doing? Then man, we're, we're part of the problem. So man, let's hold each other accountable for our personal growth and for our, our involvement in ministry. So let's make sure our priorities line up with God's priorities. Let's make sure our perspectives line up with God's perspectives. And let's make sure our procedure lines up with God's procedure. Because ultimately, we want our lives to line up with with Christ's life. And at least as much as humanly possible while we're still living in our flesh. Christ is coming back soon. And I, for one, don't want him to return and find me ashamed of all the time I wasted living for myself when I could have accomplished so much for him if I just adjusted my priorities or my perspective now I want him to return and see me laying my life down for his glory on a daily basis. And I know, I know all of us want that. But man, we're running out of time to make those adjustments or realignments. So why don't you just decide for yourself right now that you're going to align yourself tonight so that you can use what little time you have left to serve the Lord. And I just want to leave you with James 4.14, which says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanish of the way. So man, let's use our lives wisely. God, we thank you so much just for the clear conviction of your word and the simple truth that it brings to us that we just need to focus on what you want us to focus on. And man, we just need to see things the way you see things. And the only way we can do that is by just spending time in your word and letting it, letting it pour into us and, and change us from the inside out. And God, I pray that as we, as we do that, we would just become more and more effective at, at serving you as much as we possibly can because at the end of the day, Lord, we want to we glorify you. Um, and at the end of the day, we know you want to reward us for, for doing what you ask us to do. And Lord, we know we don't deserve those rewards. We don't even deserve the eternal life you offer us. But man, we thank you for that. We thank you for that motivation and we just ask that as we start this new year, we could just start it off right and just move forward knowing that we're spending our time wisely and and investing in eternal things that are going to last forever. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.